On the second episode of the San Diego podcast, the mayor of Imperial Beach, Serge Dedina, talks about growing up in the local punk scene, hating Van Halen as a teenager, and being pen pals with John Doe from X. Ever wish you could have seen The Clash or The Smiths? I certainly do. And Serge certainly did. All that and more is coming up. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the San Diego podcast. Thank you for listening. My name is Dustin Lutzbike. I am your host. Today we have the distinct honor of having the mayor of Imperial Beach himself, Serge Dedina, on the show. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Serge. No, stoked. So this is like the second album, right? Is that <laughs> this is a sophomore effort, if you will, and <laughs> hopefully it's better than uh, some of the second albums that bands have come out with <laughs> over the years. But um, for our listeners, uh, a little background on you: Serge has lived in IB since 1971 and was elected the mayor of Imperial Beach in 2014. Got reelected in 2018. Is also the executive director of the nonprofit environmentalist group wild coast from what i understand you're kind of uh you like the local music scene is that right you, you, you dig it yeah so it, you know i think something having grown up in san diego and been really involved in music as a bystander um especially in the 70s and 80s well the whole punk period um it's been really great to try to promote music uh and i'd be i'm a big believer in the arts and music as a force for good and uh so yeah big fan of local music and uh getting music going in ib is there any kind of local bands in particular that you like? I know that's probably putting you on the spot a little bit, but um, we were we recently had a band called Coral Bells on the show uh, on our um, San Diego Live party. We had them. Uh, they're really good. Uh, I think they call I, uh, Imperial Beach home. Yeah, and they've played my events, so we had them play my. Uh, we have a big beach, uh, big beach like festival in the summer and I do a marriage breakfast. So they played for my marriage breakfast. Oh. Uh, they were awesome. And then before that I had the guitar club at Marvista high school play, but they ended up doing like punk rock guitar and it was like all the seniors got really mad. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> so yeah. And then um, I'm going to shout out to the basics. Uh, they're a oh, super yeah. great IB man. Those guys reached out to me right after I got elected. They're all Marvista high school graduates, IB locals and super tight. I just looked them up again and uh, you know, that whole mo I was really into the jam and the who when I was a yeah. kid. So that whole sort of San Diego mod stuff, which, was big deal in San Diego. Uh, sure, yeah. Shout like out that. to Bart. You know the, yeah, Bart the dean. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I knew Bart, and uh, Bart was like the dean of the mod. So cool to see that kind of come back in IB. Basics are uh, uh, we're big fans of them. Uh, yeah, in San, uh, for San Diego. And you can't you know talk about Fuzz Huzzy and Alan Camp. You know, it's like yeah. a big guy in our community. He's done a lot for kids, and so a really big fan of Alan. He's really nice to my boys, and they're skating and really really cool guy. I really like like those guys. That's a. Uh, I was reading about the IB skate park. Uh, recently and um you know i think what that opened in 2010 and then has it been expanded or you guys been working on that or something recently or yeah so i just got the plans for expanding that and uh but of course like you know the kids i think they lit a couch on fire and you know during the holidays <laughs> kids will do you know like the <laughs> so we're trying to expand the skate park and i'm a huge believer in skate parks i grew up growing i grew up skating and actually back in the 70s in the first iteration of skate parks in san diego del mar home avenue um, there was one under uh, the freeways in Mission Valley, and so then they all got destroyed. But big believer in skate parks, so we're trying to get make sure our kids have access to skate parks. So yeah, skate parks are really important for community health. Do they um, 
do you ever guys, do you guys ever do like a shows at the skate park? Is that is there any live music at the skate park? Um, we had a skate park uh, contest, and I'm not sure they're doing any. Uh, I'm not sure if people have, they probably done impromptu concerts, but uh, <laughs> we're just trying to do a lot more to do a lot more festivals. But we have a group called the IB Athletic Club IBAC, and all the guys, a lot of guys I grew up with, and they put on a really great skate contest. So uh-huh. that's the kind of stuff we're trying to do. And we've had we put on a surf contest with Wild Coast called the Dempsey Holder Ocean Festival. We've had all kinds of bands play there, you know, uh, in the past year. So anything we can do to make music happen you know we had switchfoot pun play the ib pier that was super yeah, fun so yeah, it, was, it was that kind of like a surprise show or was that kind of was that planned i, I mean i i seem to remember there was something kind of uh, spontaneous about it a little yeah bit. halloran called us up like on a monday and i think switchfoot played on a saturday or sunday <laughs> like it was i think we had six days to, to wow. prepare for that and then you know love came uh, up and i actually i played guitar really badly so i played the three three out of five chords that i know with love which <laughs> The kids, the, by the, the way, my kids thought I was super cool. And like all the guys in the water, like the, the Groms thought, oh yeah, the, the mayor's cool. That lasted about five minutes, but <laughs> that's as good as it gets, right? In 15 minutes of fame. But totally. Musical but it was awesome. Fame. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Switch what, those guys are really great. It was an yeah. amazingly uh, inspiring, moving show. And uh, we really appreciate it. Love to have them come back. I know Halloran's looking at doing another music festival, which we support. So, uh, okay. yeah, you know, music is a beautiful thing. And I think I love creativity. I love people getting together that po- with positive energy. And that's why music's so important. Yeah, you know? for sure. It, it's definitely a unifying force. Right. It brings people together. And that's, it's wonderful. Um, you know, I've, you know, I remember when Switchfoot played, that was kind of when, uh, the lower left fest was kind of announced. It was kind of like uh, you were there with POD or what right. from POD. And, you know, it was kind of like, we're going to make this uh, a yearly thing uh, every summer. And, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but it, like it, it didn't actually pan out the way that I think you guys had planned. Um, and I, I read, I actually wrote an article about it for San Diego about how there was like kind of a scheduling conflict with another festival that was kind of happening the same day or the same weekend or something. Is that, is that kind of accurate? Yeah. You know, first we're just a low income city with uh, very little money. And so, you know, we made the, the Switchfoot event happened. I think Halloran and POD wanted to make it happen. We just needed required a little bit extra money. That was that was hard. And then I think they tried to piggyback on it uh, with, a, with another festival. That didn't work out. You know, we're a small town. And so it was just a huge bummer. But, you know, I want to shout out to Halloran because he's been on it. He hasn't forgotten us. I know POD haven't as well. And we're trying to make it happen and bring it back for hopefully this year or the next year. You know, we're actually going to have Sonny on uh, San Diego podcast coming up and Maybe we'll ask him about that, you know, and see if uh, see if we can get something going. You know, I mean, right. I, I remember when it was canceled or postponed or whatever. You know, uh, POD was very adamant about like we want to do yeah, this. I know, like, right. it, you yeah. know, this is something we want to make happen. And so I think, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it's not like they didn't want to play. <laughs> it was, you know, yeah. No, look, POD is completely did the right thing pod was not in the wrong you know it's just one of those things where the stars didn't align for lots of reasons that we couldn't overcome and uh, i really have a huge amount of respect for pod and those guys have super strong connections to ib yes um and so yeah we really love pod we love what they stand for and they are all about the south bay all about ib so yeah yeah, we we can't wait to have those guys back that's awesome uh well I'm, i'm you know is there do you know any plans kind of right now, maybe doing it this year or maybe next year? Or I think Halloran's talking about hopefully this year, later, okay. if they can get the, I think it's all about financing. So, you know, we got to get sponsors and, and make it happen. So I think that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. That's very cool. Um, you know, I, 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 I was kind of wondering, like, 
you know, what you, you've lived in San Diego for I, I be since 1971. Um, you know, what were you into when you were growing up? Like, you know, like what kind of music, uh, kind of, you know, got you going when you were, when you were a youngin? Well, you know, my mother is, my dad's French, my mother's English. And so my childhood was set to the Beatles and Elton John. Oh, like, yeah. you know, so I was born in 1964. My first album I bought at the Hobby Hut in Imperial Beach was Sgt. Pepper's. Oh, yeah. But even okay. before that, I was living, we were living in Arroyo Seco in LA. And, you know, it was just when you're a kid in Southern California, it was just about the Beatles. Like yeah. it was, there was yeah. nothing really else. My parents were sort of pre-hippie, they were beatniks. Mm. So we'd go to these love-ins at Highland Park, and <laughs> I think it was Highland MacArthur or MacArthur Park, and like, it kind of reminded me of once, one, once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it was that sort of like, the crazy hippies. Like, yeah. I was freaked out when I was a little kid by the crazy hippies, they're always freaking out, and you know, <laughs> patchouli oil I did not like, the smell of weed. <laughs> and so like, for me, that movie really resonated, like, <laughs> there's the crazy hippies, right? But um, that was sort of like the background of my childhood, but. Yeah. It was always about the Beatles. My mother was really there, kind of that, that generation, grew up, got bombed in the war, and so it really meant a lot to me, and, and my brother, and yeah, we were just all about the Beatles, That's and then Elton cool. John, but and I also bought you know, the Jackson 5's first album, which is a brilliant album, so yeah, you know, all that stuff. I love Jackson 5, that's great. Uh, you know what, that brings me to our first four. That's, that's four questions that I like to ask every, every guest, um, you know, that kind of goes back in time a little bit. And I think I'm going to ask you those now because this is a good spot for it. Um, first concert that you ever went to, what was it? Oh man. The first concert that really made an impact was 1979, the clash, of the golden hall. Oh man. Man. It was like an explosion. I was 15 and hadn't really know much about the band. My buddy Mark Gannerton came with me. We drove in an old station wagon, and it was like, I just have this image of like an explosion. Of like, there could be a punk rock musical explosion. It was the Clash at Golden Hall, and I think anybody who was there remembers that and remembers why they're such, for me, the greatest band, right, ever. The only band that matters. Yeah, you know, and I was a huge, I think that was transitioning Beatles, but that's a natural evolution, right? And yeah. I think Iggy Pop and T-Rex came in there somewhere on the way, and oh, Lou man. Reed and everybody, but um, yeah, we really hit punk rock hard, and I was... Uh, 1979 and I think the ninth or 10th grade and that same era we saw uh, uh, the acts at the Roxy and PB we started going to, to concerts you know so uh, and then got into the whole punk rock scene in TJ which was uh, punk rock Luis Guadagna was a legend in, in Mexican rock circles and here on the border who started Tijuana No um, what Julieta Julia Venegas played for. Uh, Tijuana, no. I think they just reunited or something recently. Yeah, for, and, and uh, Luis was the, the dean of that. He passed away. I actually ended up writing an article about him. And uh, yeah, that was heavy. And I remember him saying, you want, we're in this downtown TJ and Revolution. He's like, he's like, anarchy? You want anarchy? This, opening his arms. This is anarchy. <laughs> so yeah, lots of good memories. But we took an epic trip in uh, high school it, was, it could be an 80s movie with the Armando and Fernie Chavez and their 74 Cadillac. We went to Hollywood. We saw uh, Echo and the Bunnymen on their first tour at the oh, Whiskey. Wow. We were all like Jeez. 16, 17. We all had punk rock haircuts. <laughs> saw Fear and Loathing. I think it was, is it Fear and Loathing? What was it Fear in LA? Whatever that, the punk rock movie about LA is. Mm, anyway, um, yeah, and went to Tower Records on sun, is it Sunset. Yeah, so yeah, anyways, you. it was a great weekend. Stayed at Fernie and Armando's at an uncle's house in East LA. Like it was <laughs> awesome. That was the greatest trip ever. That's right. Um, 
this might be kind of uh, redundant, but what was the first band or artist you ever loved? It, you know, it's the Beatles, but it's really The Clash. Yeah, like The Clash, right. when I was 15, just I absorbed The Clash, and my kids grew up on The Clash. I oh, still listen cool. to The Clash. London Calling is, is brilliant. Yeah. You know, I Give Enough Rope is the second album that is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Their first album was brilliant. Sandinista should have been three separate albums, but yeah, I love The Clash. I heard that they they uh, lost their lunch pressing London Calling and Sandinista. Because I'm sure they, were, they did. Uh, London Calling was a double album, and then Santa Anissa was a triple album, and they somehow convinced their record label to press them as uh, for the price of one LP. And um, their label was just like, "All right, we'll do it, but you guys won't make any money, and you know, after until after like two hundred thousand copies have been sold or something like that." So they didn't actually make any money from their record label, you know, until three or four years you know in, in like 1982 or something they finally started making money <laughs> it's just like man that just that just does not happen now like you i mean uh, you know i mean label the whole industry has changed but i just cannot imagine you know an act going like okay you know what press it the way we want it press and we'll just eat all that loss you know for however long it's just crazy yeah you know and it just just to emphasize the brilliance of those guys their genius their passion their creativity i think their the commitment to community you know and that whole relationship they have with new york you see it in the video and stuff was really you know impactful and rock against racism i think does that video you can see from 1977 uh, we saw their film rude boy at the ken theater when i was a kid you know like in high school and uh you know how much they meant to so many of us and but how they evolved as well you know they didn't stay the same they didn't allow the, you know, it was always about, everyone was always being accused of selling out, but they just evolved, which is really, I find that, I found it really impressive. And obviously Joe Strummer and Mick just changed and did so much after, you know, they ended the clash. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's in terms of evolution of a band, I mean, their music is just, the way that they evolved is just so amazing uh, over the course of their career. Only had, what, five studio albums or something? I right. Mean, that's just, that's crazy. I mean, to accomplish that, it's like the Beatles, you know, you had like right. 10 studio albums in the span of like four years or whatever right. it was, you know, but um, very cool. Uh, first album you ever bought? Yeah, it was it was Sergeant Pepper. Okay, seven years old, the, the Hobby Hut. So yeah, uh, I still remember buying it and how much how many times I played it, and I still play it. Uh, the album still means a lot to me. I'm do obsessed you, with the Beatles song you, as well. Do you are you one of those people that like um, every time they like reissue something or remaster something or come out with extra bonus tracks? Do you buy the new thing that comes out? Well, I have Napster now, which used to be Rhapsody. So my my little brother Nick or Nicky, uh, who is always with us at concerts, was one of the first guys at Rhapsody, one of the first online music portals, and then they got bought by Napster. So I'm whatever. Yeah, anything drops when all the new the Beatle remasters just came out again was it a few years yes, ago yeah <laughs> i downloaded all of them and still listen to them so the, <laughs> the white album i love the white album i mean i love all their stuff and really uh kind of not obsessed but i love process of creativity mm. so i read books about the clash and the Beatles because i was really interested in how teams work together to change the world right like yeah. and, and what that process is because i think it's really relevant to politics and environmental activism and you know I, through wild coast i've been able to work with lincoln park as well and oh. mana the uh, spanish yeah, mexican right, rock yeah. band and been really impressed with their com- commitment to like evolving but also community and actually making a difference especially right. in the area for lincoln park and mana you know, environmental stuff that's very cool um first song that you sing at karaoke I never do karaoke. Oh, no. <laughs> never. I've, it'd be like so embarrassing. Like the last time I tried to sing in public, we did a, 
we formed a punk rock band with my buddy Dan Malos, who was the drummer for The Front, a legendary mm. San Diego punk band back from the 80s. And I got expelled from school, jumped off the stage, broke my arm. And I think that's the last <laughs> time. And I can't sing. And I can't really play the guitar very well. <laughs> so, and I was a straight A student, right? So, and I remember breaking my arm, jumping off the stage, which I think my parents watched. And yeah, and then, so it was a complete disaster. So I haven't sung since. <laughs> Uh, okay. But it would be, I think it would be, um, I was going to say London Calling. I love that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about your first musical guilty pleasure that you can remember? Well, something that maybe oh. you were kind of ashamed to like <laughs> back in the day. So, you know, there are two realities in late 70s, early 80s. There was the bro dude, SoCal, Van Halen, like traditional culture where you they beat us up for having punk rock haircuts and liking yeah. punk rock um and then like all of us who didn't fit into that world but we're all part of it right because we grew up it's like dazed and confused yeah but yeah. like well the, the whole punk you know new wave you know alternative sub scene and uh and so van halen still is like guilty it just means <laughs> i have an image of me it's 1978 or 79 hanging out at elkwood street and ib with all my buddies surfing and somebody was always there in a tricked out car a vw van playing van halen wow you know and then uh and i would say tom petty's not the same way but tom petty was always a background like cool guy in the 80s and i love tom petty really? now yeah i love tom petty and it's not that's not a guilty pleasure because he was a you know brilliant yeah. uh, musician but and maybe songwriter. at the time when you because I mean, you were really in the punk scene at that yeah point. i wasn't really into we weren't into tom petty we respected tom petty but yeah. he was always on the radio but yeah now i just i think through you know it was in my late 20s i really began to love tom petty a lot more that's right yeah i mean i you know i'm kind of the same way like i, I didn't really listen to tom petty much when i was growing up and then I don't know, maybe you hit a certain age and you go, man, I can really relate to some of these Tom Petty songs. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know exactly what that's about, but uh, I have a similar kind of experience. And there's a brilliant documentary, and I can't remember the name of it. Oh, it's like two and a half hours, I think. Oh, yeah. It's on Amazon. I think it's on Netflix. Netflix, like, yeah. Um, God, I cannot remember the name of it. And my wife's going to make fun of me about it because I've watched it so many times. Brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And you really respect him even more. And his band and the musicianship and what they attempt to do. It's something, again, I learned from Mana. I still work with Los Tigres and Lorte and environmental campaigns and Lincoln Park. Is It's so hard to do that for a sustained period of time. It takes so much energy. Obviously, it had a huge impact on Chester. He lost his life. But um, to do that for a long time and, and be successful on top requires a huge amount of intelligence and being strategic, really high-level thinker, but also someone could actually think about next-level stuff, like yeah. where you're going, and huge amounts of respect to him, but also all these musicians that are able to do that for so long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is pretty amazing that the career trajectory of some of these bands and artists that we all love, you know, just the longevity is just so amazing. Like, you know, hit after hit and stuff like that. I mean, it, it, it is very rare, you know, and it's like, sometimes I think about it with, with, you know, today's new artists, you know, like, um, I don't know, take Billie Eilish, for example, you know, she's won every award that you can think of within the last six months or whatever. She's on top of the world, probably the biggest pop star in, in, in the world, um, at the moment. And it's like, well, where do you go from there? If you're Billie Eilish, you know, what's the next step, you know, and how do you maintain that momentum? It's just so, right now, it's just so crazy. How do you keep that going? You and I, I think that's what's why I find so, uh, I guess, inspiring about the story of the Beatles. And again, read quite a few biographies of the Beatles. And then The Clash is this 
it was always the next level. Yeah. They were never satisfied with what they're doing. And, you know, especially in that golden era of the, you know, with the Beatles in 66 and Sgt. Pepper and Revolver and Rubber Soul, like, it was always next level. Like, okay, yeah. we did this, not good enough, next level. Right. You know, I think uh, Lincoln Park, I've been really impressed with the trajectory of Lincoln Park, but also their commitment to their community, like fans and next level. After Chester passed away, like, you know, they kept on moving forward, you know, and even, you know, despite tragedy and the clash were like that too, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, London Calling, how do you beat that? Well, right. Sandinista, like, that's that should have been an album or two albums and they do a triple album because at the end of the day, they're artists, right? Yeah, and so. Yeah. I think that's a commitment. Great artists evolve and are committed to evolve. They don't, and they don't, they don't apologize for it. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Absolutely true. Um, you know what? Since we're just talking about the Clash, I think it's time to play A or B side. All right. We're going to play A or B side. It's a, our San Diego podcast trivia game where I ask you three questions. I give you two options for the answer. You choose one, and either you're right or you're not. You're probably going to get them right because this week's uh, theme show is about uh, the clash. And I'm, I didn't make them too hard because I want you to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see how you do, shall we? Okay. Question one. The cover of the album London Calling is one of the most iconic photos in rock and roll history. So Elvis Presley, is that the answer? It, that is not the answer. Oh, is it his first? I can't remember. What, uh, never mind. Think, but you continue. Know what? I'm sorry. No, the, you were correct that they took inspiration from the co- for that cover from right. Elvis Presley's record. Um, it's a photo of someone in the band smashing their instrument in on stage. Who is it? A, Joe Strummer, or B, Paul Simonet? It's Paul. You're correct. Of course. No, I don't know anything. Actually, I can't remember anything. I don't know why I know about that. So it's well. He apparently he smashed the bass in question. He was the bass player for the band. He smashed the bass in a uh, bass in question uh, in frustration because bouncers at that particular show wouldn't let anybody get up out of their seats while they were playing. Oh, okay. And so he was really upset about it. He smashed uh, smashes bass, and um, he. I was reading an inter- uh, listening to an interview with him recently where he talked that, about how he kept the pieces of the bass. He still has oh those pieces of the bass. And I, I mean, you think about like when Jimi Hendrix would smash guitars and stuff, he didn't keep all the pieces. He hand, he threw them out or in the Pete crowd. Other right, people yeah, got, right. I mean, but, but Paul kept the pieces of the, and I guess a strummer picked up one of the big pieces and he was going to do something with it. And Paul was like, give me that. I want to keep that. That's and amazing. It's so weird. Yeah. What a, what a strange little tidbit there. Um, okay. So you're one for one. You got that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Throughout their entire career, The Clash only had two songs reach the top 40 on the U.S. charts. Their first hit was Train in Vain in 1980, which reached number 23. Their next hit came two years later. Was it A, Rock the Casbah, or B, this is Radio Clash? Rock the Casbah. You are correct. I knew you. It was Radio Clash after that, right? Radio Clash yeah, was after right. that, which yeah. is, And it was more like a single or 12-inch, right? Or it was. It was not actually on an uh I think right or is that not I right? Think, I think it was not on an album. I could be wrong. Maybe our I think you're right. No, I think you're in. right. Yeah. Uh, but Rock the Casbah did heat, uh, uh, hit number eight on the chart and represents their highest charting song in the U.S. Um, this is Radio Clash peaked at number forty-five huh. on the U.S. Okay. mainstream chart. So I mean, just outside the top forty. But you know, I mean, it's still a hit, but it just wasn't. Uh, 
wasn't one of the top ones of that. Yeah, and I don't know if that even matter, but This Is Radio Clash is a brilliant song. It I love is. that song. It's, it's an anthemic, huh? It's uh, you know, I think out of all of their songs, it's probably the song I've heard the most oh, from that's them. Interesting. Uh, because I, you know, I, years ago, I was an auto parts delivery guy for uh, worldwide auto parts here in San Diego. And um, I would drive around all day delivering auto parts. And I would listen to 91X and 94.9. And 91X, I, you know, I could predict what they were going to play at some point because, like, I listened to them for so long every day that I just kind of knew what was in the rotation. And sure enough, this is Radio Clash would always play around noon and always play around lunchtime. And I heard it every single day. And sometimes, I mean, you know, my favorite Clash song is, uh, well, it's probably Train in Vain, but I, London Calling is hard to beat. Rocket Hospital is hard to beat. But, you know, I didn't hear those as much, you know, and I always thought that was interesting. Like, why this is Radio Clash? Like, why was that one? Like, the, I, I'm thinking maybe Hillary or Robin Roth or whoever was DJing over there at the time. Maybe they just, uh, they're like, oh, I'm going to play this. This is my right. favorite song. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So, two for two. You're doing well. Uh, I knew you would. Uh, number three. In May of 1977, The Clash embarked on the White Riot Tour with the Buscocks and a couple other bands. During that tour... The Damned or the Damned of all that tour? I can't remember. Uh, no, it was The Slits and... Um, gosh, there was... An, oh, I can't remember the other Well, I saw one. The Buscocks at Iguanas and TJ. Oh, really? It was that my brother and I went. It must have been the early 90s. It was... Yeah, I love The Buscocks. Oh, so, man. anyway. Uh, during that tour, Joe Strummer was arrested for... A, stealing a pillowcase from his hotel room, or B, hitting a violent person in the audience at one of the shows with his guitar. I'm going to say stealing the pillowcase. Man, you are, I can't shake you. Yeah, but I, I, I and that came, I just rem- remembered there was some weird anecdote. He did something stupid. So <laughs> anyway. He, uh, Stromer, along with Topper Heaton, actually, they were both arrested and fined 100 pounds. Uh, for stealing pillowcases from their Holiday Inn hotel room. Uh, Strummer was actually arrested in 1980 for hitting someone with his guitar oh, who was okay. being violent at the show. It was kind of a trick question, and I, but I knew you'd get it. I knew you'd get it. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I don't know why I get it. Topper was their first drummer who was became a heroin addict, right, and they kicked out of the band. Or was that, uh, that was Topper, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did get kicked out of the band, I believe. And then, um, but he went on to like play with a, a ton of different like disco artists and stuff. And oh, like, wow. he okay. was just like, I don't know exactly what the time period was. And the, after he got kicked out of the band and until he started making music and getting involved in all these other things. But I mean, he was, he did a lot of work after the class. And they really said that it was his drumming that really made it help make the band. He was yeah. a brilliant, I think with jazz influenced drummer. And then, um, they also really regretted doing that. They said they really weren't mature enough to understand they should have given him an opportunity to get going to recovery. Yeah. And they kicked, they were mad at him. And so I think they, but they also realized they really regretted it. Well, that's a tough situation right. because like, you know, when you're in that position, it's hard to see kind of like the forest through the trees, right. you know? And it's like, all you want to do is continue with your livelihood and continue making music, doing all that. And when someone is, you know, hindering that from happening and it's because, you know, at that time they didn't know, um, uh, you know, as much about addiction as they do now. Right. And it wasn't, uh, the views that people had on addiction at that time was so vastly different than it is now. So, I mean, it's not surprising that they kicked him out, but um, I think, you know, as you mentioned, if they had to do it all over again, they'd they'd probably go a different route. And I think the Clash is a good example. You know, the Beatles were a little different because they all grew up together, right? And so then they spent that time in in Hamburg really, you know, 
honing their craft and coming back and then exploding after a lot of hard work. Yeah. Whereas the, uh, I forget the name of their manager that really helped put them together. Mm-hmm. They didn't really know each other. So, you yeah. know, I mean, think about the genius that was created with them in such a short period of time. And so that's the tragedy that they didn't stay together. I mean, well, they went on to all these creative careers afterwards, but right. I think they could have done so much more, you know, if they had that maturity and then the management sort of to help them move forward. You know, I heard when uh, I was reading something that when Strummer was, um, you know, uh, kind of, when they decided that Strummer was going to be the vocalist, they were looking for a vocalist. And when they when they when they were like, "Okay, Strummer, you can do it," uh, their manager at the time was not sold on his voice. He thought his voice was like really bad and like croaky. I think he huh. called it, which I think is so funny because right. it's like, man, like the, one of the most iconic voices in rock right. and roll. You know, <laughs> it's like, can you imagine if that guy was just like, "No, I don't want Strummer as the vocalist. Let's go right. with somebody else." You know, but. uh yeah, it's just crazy. And, you know, another weird thing that I was reading the other day is, is uh, you know, it, it's it's weird to me that, um, you know, they only had five studio albums and, and Strummer absolutely despised Cut the Crap, their last record. He, I mean, he disowned it, like, right. pretty much completely. Um, and to me, like, as an artist, like, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just so strange to spend that amount of time and that kind of put that kind of effort and create you know, create creatively into a project. And then after it comes out, just want nothing to do with it. Right. You know, um, just very strange. You got, you, I mean, you passed our trivia game, A or B side with flying colors. So, I mean, if we had a trophy, we'd give you a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now's a good time to mention a few shows we're stoked about this week. Up next, the San Diego set list. All right, if you are looking for a reason to get out of the house, here's our set list of your top live music options. Former members of the Thin White Dukes touring band are on the road once again as a Bowie celebration gets hunky-dory on Tuesday at the Belly Up. Got the humdrum blues. The perfect cure awaits at Soma on Friday as the Growlers, one of my all-time favorite bands, by the way, play an all-ages show. And while I haven't laced up my trusty old dancing shoes in a while, nobody wants to see that. But if I did, I'd be at Omnia for Elefante on Saturday night. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Serge. We really appreciate it. It's been a blast. No, hey, I'm super stoked. What a great conversation. Anytime I can talk about The Clash and (laughs) great bands that I love um, and how they relate to making a difference, any day. So thanks for what you guys are doing as well. I am pretty stoked about the episodes on the way. We have got some very special guests lined up, like Sonny from P.O.D., CC from Little Hurricane, NBC7's Catherine Garcia, Eric Howarth from Vinyl Junkies Record Chat, and about San Diego host Ken Kramer. Head over to SanDiego.com for notes about the episode of the pod, including photos of that letter John Doe wrote Surge, and even the ticket stub from the Smith show he went to back in 1984. Before we go... I'd like to leave you with our local San Diego Spotlight song of the week, Rowdy by The Routine. You can catch them at The Holding Company in OB on Saturday. And when you get home from the show, turn on San Diego TV at 1.30 a.m. after SNL. It's kind of like the podcast where you can actually see what's going on. It's cool. All right, friends. Until next Monday, enjoy the music.
baby, oh, no es 